Hi, I'm Leah Potter. And I'm Meredith Roten, and we're two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm here with Lauren Peller, the academics editor here at the Hatchet. And Lauren, you recently spoke to a longtime professor at the theater and dance program here at GW. And can you tell us what you learned in that conversation? Thanks for having me, Meredith. I spoke with Leslie Jacobson, who has spent over 40 years at GW, and she plans to retire at the end of the semester. She has contributed to the theater and dance program in many ways. She's created courses, uh, theater productions, and also a cultural exchange program. And she, many faculty and her form, and her students said that they will greatly miss her presence in the programs, and she's contributed so much. Well, so 40 years, that's obviously a really long time. Was there anything that stood out to her in her time at GW as her proudest moment or her favorite experience? Jacobson told me that one of her most favorite accomplishments during her tenure was that she created a cultural exchange program with the Bocamoso Youth Center in South Africa, which is an organization that works with and educates at-risk youth in South Africa. And essentially with this program, she brings the South African students to GW for about a week or so, and she teaches youth about music, dance, theater, and she also oversees the group's performance at the end of the program where they perform on issues like the HIV and AIDS crisis or domestic abuse. And she, Jacobson really stressed to me that she, during her tenure, she strived to use theater and dance as a way to create social change. She also said that she created different parts of the theater and dance program. So what are some of those that are still students are still using today? Jacobson mentioned that she created the Women's Leadership Program in International Arts and Culture, and she also created the Masters of Fine Arts and Classical Acting, which she brought to the university in 2000. Also, she served as the chair of what was it was previously called the Theater and Dance Department, and during her 13-year run as chair, she created a course called Theater for Social Change, which is now a required course for theater majors. I would say, after speaking with Jacobson, that that course epitomizes how she worked as a professor and as a mentor to her students. She really tried to inspire students to infuse social issues into their art. And why was infusing social issues such a big deal for her? She said that that's just been an area of research that she's always been passionate about over the years. So if she also directs plays at GW, what does that process look like? Aside from teaching, Jacobson said that she actually ran a professional theater company focused on producing work by women and playwrights, and it was called the Horizons Theater from a Women's Perspective, and she actually did that from 1977 to 2000. But at GW, almost every single year, except she said when she goes on sabbatical, she premieres a different play, which happens usually in the spring in the Betts Theater, so this year in March, um, the play called Women's Work is slated to run. So that play she mentioned looks at women issues and social issues relating to women in the workforce. What has her relationship been like with students and then with other faculty in the program? Students and faculty who are close to Jacobson mentioned that the theater and dance program at GW um, is 
greatly going to miss Jacobson's presence and that she's been a mentor to so many students. Jacobson also has worked with seniors on their thesis projects and she's worked with students on individual projects and that it's very extremely rewarding and it's been one of the most her most favorite parts about being at GW. She's been at GW for 40 years that also raises the question why did she stay at GW for 40 years? What did she like so much that made her want to stick around? She actually said that she doesn't plan on disappearing from campus after she retires and she said that she plans to even still be involved with the students because she loves GW students so much that she wants to work on projects with them. She didn't specifically mention exactly what they're going to be but she said that she even said that I certainly cannot stop making theater going to the theater and supporting theater and students specifically at GW so she's honestly not disappearing from this campus anytime soon well thanks for coming on and talking to us about this longtime professor thanks Meredith Meredith you had a story this week about a new alumni group that's forming independent from the university not only are they now a separate entity but this month they are creating a London chapter of the the group. It'll be the first international chapter of the group. And the move to separate from the university, that was fairly controversial at the time. Yeah, it was because the university, they were in talks to integrate with the university to more align themselves uh, with the university and what they did basically. Um, but it was a it was very controversial within the what was called the GW Alumni Association at the time. It was very controversial among the board members and some uh, some other people within the organization. And now, why is this group in London? The reason that they're in London is because an alumni, Ari Masewski, who graduated in 2015 from the School of Media and Public Affairs, he is based in London right now. And he actually came to uh, Kathy Bikus, the communications director at the Alumni Association, um, and approached her with this idea of starting this chapter in London because he wanted to get more involved and create some kind of group there. And they thought that it was a great opportunity to expand what they're doing. And basically, Kathy Bikus and uh, Marty Baum, who is the the president of the Independent Alumni Association, um, said that this just seemed like if there were the resources there and if there were was the interest that they should go for it and so they could have more support because they are as part of their plan they are looking for um, more partners and they are looking for um, more board members so that these these alumni could potentially be a part of that process in their expansion and what is this new group doing how are they going to operate what the Alumni Association does now is they want to provide an aspect of getting together for alumni and also for professional development is their, the other main piece of their mission. For example, one of the things that they're doing to launch the new chapter is they're hosting a social event at the U.S. Embassy and that's just kind of to let alumni in the London area know that they're there. Apparently there's actually a lot uh, of alumni in London because of the kind of finance aspect of it and a lot of you know people who are studying finance at GW um, go there after they graduate and other than that that's kind of the main thing that they're doing they're trying to just extend their network um, as much as they can. But if they don't have access currently to GW's resources how are they operating and what kind of budget do they have? 
Um, they do have an endowment that they have been building up over the years when they were operating with the university, but they they have declined to share what that amount is, but they're not spending a whole lot right now. Thanks for telling us more about this new alumni group, and be sure to keep us updated as they move on to other cities. Thanks, I definitely will. I'm here with one of our staff writers, Jared Gans, who worked on a story this week about the university working to improve its websites to be more accommodating to people with disabilities. Thanks for coming on, Jared. Good to be here. The university's plan to improve website accessibility comes after a federal investigation that was launched in 2017. And the first deadline for the resolution agreement from the Office for Civil Rights was slated to be October 1st. However, the university pushed this first deadline to January 15th. What details did university officials tell us about this plan? University officials said that they submitted the plan to the Department of Education Office for Civil Rights by the deadline, January 15th, and that the task force has been working in between the original deadline, October 1st, and the pushback deadline, January 15th, to make some changes. So they have added an accessibility statement to its homepage in this time. They've also updated a feedback form for people to report problems with accessibility. And tell me about the task force. What does that look like? The task force is made up of a number of faculty and staff members from different departments in GW, including the Division of Information Technology and Disability Support Services. And they are bringing all these people together to really review what the problems were and what solutions need to be made. What are the greatest challenges to implementing this type of plan to improve accessibility? Experts said one of the biggest challenges could be having the manpower to actually complete these changes in order to fully conduct the trainings with people who are informed about what faculty need to know and in order to make the changes themselves, the people who have background in that technology, more people might need to be hired, which could be a financial burden on the university. The initial complaint found that many of the university's websites lacked certain features like the ability for screen readers to read captions on photos, but also found that there was a lack of color contrast on some of the pages. Did experts say anything about quick fixes that might be less costly and actually make improvements in the long run? Yes, they did. One of the biggest changes and one of the easiest changes that experts said can be made is ensuring that all videos, all images are captioned, making sure that those screen readers can read them, and make sure those who have vision impairments are not without the opportunity that everybody else has. What's next on the university's docket in terms of this resolution agreement? Now that a plan has been developed, the main goal for the university is to actually put this plan into action. There are actually two other objectives that the university had to meet in their agreement with the Department of Education. But the number one thing is actually making sure this plan works and it includes that by April 2020, the university has to submit a report saying that it has met the terms of the agreement that it made in early 2018. Well, thanks for coming on, Jared, and with more steps to implement for 2020, we'll be sure to keep you guys updated about this. Thanks for having me. I'm here with our contributing culture editor, Catherine Abugazala, and we're going to talk about a new Instagram account, GW Thrift. What is it? So GW Thrift is owned by a sophomore, Jeju, 
and he wanted students to be able to sell their clothes easily and buy clothes easily without having to pay for shipping and handling fees. So students can advertise their clothes for $4 on GW Thrift. Jeju will take a picture and post it on there, and then whoever wants to buy it can buy it, and he'll deliver it to their dorm. So has he had a lot of business so far? Are students interested in this? So far, it seems like it. He has 48 posts since the semester started, and a lot of those are already sold. And what kind of clothes are typically being sold on this account? It looks like a lot more men's clothes, um, a lot of name brands. There are some Comme de Garçon clothes, um, Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, um, a lot of clothes that people either might have like grown out of or they got a replacement for, and so they advertise them on GW Thrift, and they get the money minus the $4. Where did he get the idea for this? So Zhu started thrifting in his junior year of high school, and he really enjoyed it, and he wasn't sure how it would apply to a larger market. But he also said that as he traveled other places in the world, he saw a lot of American-themed thrift stores in Europe, in Tokyo, and they were all focused on these more designer pieces, like when you go into a Buffalo Exchange and you can see name brands for cheaper. And so he got this idea so that way GW students could get the thrift experience without having to pay for any fees if it involves online shopping, or with without having to find a specific thrift store and maybe not getting exactly what they wanted. Where does he hope to take this business? I don't know his long-term plans necessarily, but I do know that he's hoping to reach a wider audience in his next few years at GW. The account already has 800 followers, but I know Zhu is hoping that more people will pay more attention to the account in general. How did he get into thrifting? Zhu mentions that his junior year of high school, his friend took him thrifting, and he was really skeptical because he thought everything would be very dirty and dingy, but he was pleasantly surprised and found a lot of brand name clothes, especially vintage ones, and that's what started this love affair with the activity. Well, thanks for talking to us about this new account. Thank you for having me. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features contributing culture editor Catherine Avogazada. This podcast is produced by managing editor Matt Cullen and video editor Ariana Dunham. Music is produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Jared Gans and Lauren Peller for joining us. See you next week.